Welcome to Modern Marketing Messages, the leading podcast discussing the latest and greatest in both online and offline marketing tactics, strategies, and trends. I'm your host, Taylor Karg, marketing content writer at AmericanEagle.com. Today, we're going to discuss how focusing on accessibility and your design processes benefits end users. To do that, I have here with me AmericanEagle.com's very own accessibility expert, Nick Goodrum. Nick, welcome back to the show. You've been a guest a few times yeah. before. Hello, everyone, again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, again, I, I could talk on never ending about accessibility. So hopefully people don't get too tired of my voice. But oh, yes. definitely not. Can you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit about how long you've been at the company, kind of what your role entails and what your responsibilities are? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. So, yeah, I've been here. Well, it's been a while. Uh, it's been about over 13 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so I've been here for quite some time. <laughs> uh, and I started out in the front end space. So uh, I was pretty much just uh, we had a very different name for the position at the time, but it was front end development. And then pretty much I grew into that role over time into more of a leadership and then actually oversaw the department. And of course, best practices, you want to come up with the best solutions. And something I kind of really realized over time is that, of course, the impact of what I'm making. And we often just think in a bubble of like, oh, I'm just making this website. But the decisions you make and the way you implement things can actually impact how people interact with the website. So one of those best practices was accessibility, right? Uh, and so I became one of the major advocates at the company about accessibility. And then it pretty much, you know, I kind of realized we were always kind of reactive, right? Oh, if a client needs it, we can take care of it and we'll handle it. But it, it kind of realized I was like, no, 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 too many people aren't aware of this, right? Uh, and so we really wanted to shift into that proactive approach. And so for quite a few years now, I've been in the accessibility space and focused on a team and just growing that out so that we can just support our clients, support internally, uh, just and actually just educate and share. Yeah, that's awesome. And it seems like Maybe you didn't really know that you were going to get into web accessibility and it kind of just happened over time. And I'm glad, you know, there are people like you out there who are, you know, working to make a difference. Yep. No, again, yeah. No, I think most people in the accessibility space did not just go like, that's what I'm going to study. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Um, Is there even something you could study? Like, I'm not even sure. No, what most that universities, would be. like, it, for a long time, it was actually they didn't even have front end development programs, right? So you oh, always wow. have back end development and you have these kind of classic, uh, you know, computer science degrees. And only in more recent years did they even get these kind of front end uh, focuses and, and even in boot camps. And when I've talked with people from boot camps, times change, right? And it depends on which one, but they'll be like, okay, we, we spent like two months on back end and integration and React and all these things. And we like had two days of accessibility, if that. And it's like, okay, waiting. I understand you're trying to do all the complex things, but it, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two and, days does not sound like nearly enough time. Yeah. Uh, if that. So, it's, it, you know, you get some varying there. So, yeah, it, there's no real place that's actually doing this kind of education. And so everyone's just, hey, passion, interest. Uh, and so you'll see most of the people and the advocates and the people out there. It's just, okay, yeah, no, I can. Right, let's interact and let's figure things out. And let's work together on that. So it, it is definitely a different time than years ago where the information was also still very limited. There's some people were sharing, but it was still in a uh, not as mainstream. And I'm starting to see over the years that it's just a little bit more mainstream. There's a little bit more, few more voices, a lot more people actually discussing and coming up with solutions. So it's, it's very interesting time. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I'm glad you know that you're here today to kind of tell us all about it. Um, So before we dig into you know, accessibility and UI design and all that, I wanted to share some statistics that I found that kind of speak to why this is an important topic to cover, especially, you know, as a web design and development company, yeah. as we are. 
Um, so one of the stats that I found, according to Pew Research Center, approximately 75% of Americans with disabilities report using the internet on a frequent basis. Now, 80% of those users, so people with disabilities, report that they would rather buy from a more expensive web shop than one with poor accessibility. And that's according to Sight Improve, which is an AmericanEagle.com partner. Mm -hmm. And another stat according to Sight Improve is that 69% of people with disabilities leave a website immediately if it's not accessible. Are these kind of in line with things that you've been seeing over the years? I mean, it's kind of true for anyone, right? So this it's not even really whether you have a disability or not. I mean, if you went to a store and they're like, well, the doors are closed. <laughs> um, I guess I'll just wait here for two weeks and hope it opens. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. You're going to be like, oh, there's like the same exact store like right over there. I'm going to I'm, I'm just I'm just going to go over there. Thanks for your time. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that just applies to anything. And in this day and age. Right. You know, 20 years ago, you could say, oh, well, you know, oh, you just use the online services and you're like call centers. And I kind of go, well, most call centers now are almost automated. So you would love to talk to a person. Good luck with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then, oh, OK, well, you just go in person and go to like brick and mortar stores and you go, well, how I always kind of ask. But maybe that's just my perspective. But it's like how many people go into like physical travel agencies now versus just going online? Right? I'm sure. Very, very few. Very few. <laughs> And so it's a lot about this online presence. But the benefit is there's just so many options out there. And people kind of go, okay, well, I want to make it uh, big, flashy, and fancy. But, I mean, I kind of look at Reddit and some of these places that it's, it's not the fanciest looking site, right? It's, it's not. Yeah. It's all about the content, right? Mm -hmm. You can only make something so shiny that is actually just, you know, a pile of garbage or something like that for like actual content. Yeah. So if you've got the good content and you make it so that it actually can be reachable by people, it's just an automatic win. So I always find it interesting when people go like, I don't know, accessibility is not that important. I'm like, okay, there's like, but what it is, is that in that mindset is I don't think anyone's malicious, right? No one's, well, maybe there's some people, but on the most part, right? Everyone just doesn't know any better. But when a lot of times it's that bottom line, right? Oh, well... We've only got so much budget. We got to, how are we going to do all this stuff? There's a lot of wins that if all you focus is on risk mitigation, right? So that's what everyone, majority of people are thinking. Like, I just don't want to get sued or anything. And I kind of yeah. go like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're just missing out on just all the benefits from it. Uh, and I won't go too deep into it because I just, that's just how my mind works. I'm yeah. already jumping into yeah. all the positives <laughs> around it because I've just seen so many wins from it. The other thing too is when you think about, oh, well, how many people? It's like, okay, the, depending on censuses and whatnot, it could be even up to like 26% uh, of people have some form of disability, right? That's not a small number, no. right? No, yeah. it's varying degrees and varying mm -hmm. types, right? Yeah. But that's a, quite a large number. And on top of that, you go, okay, well, uh, again, data and whatnot, there's about $490 billion post-taxable income, at least in the U.S., yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so I always kind of go, it's you're leaving selfishness, right? That usually gets people to do things. And yeah. so as, a, yeah. as an organization, <laughs> right, as a company, if you're in the e-commerce space or you're trying to get a product out and you kind of go, well, you know, those numbers alone should automatically be able to easily sell it within a company. I wish it could be just as simple as, hey, it would benefit people, right? Yeah. And, and we wouldn't create these barriers. And this is, that would be an amazing thing. But also their businesses and there's probably higher up people and there's C-level people you have to make sure and they have to make decisions on how do, how do I keep the lights on, right? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes just even knowing that information kind of helps that discussion internally. Yeah, yeah. And I like what you said earlier. And I think, you know, we'll get more into it as the episode goes on. But web accessibility isn't just for, 
you know, people with disabilities, which, yes, it's a large part of that. And we want to make sure we're being inclusive of people with all different kinds of abilities. But, you know, it really is good for just everyone and your entire business as a whole. So I like that point that you made. That was great. So let's kind of just set the stage for the entire episode. What is web accessibility? Before, you know, we jump even further down this hole, basically, what is web accessibility? So, yeah. Uh, and it was interesting, as you can, it, like I said, it, it's hard for humans to step out of our own shoes. We're in our own lives. We have our own way of doing things, our own habits. So it's not that it's impossible for us to understand. We just, if it's out of sight, out of mind kind of concept, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so web accessibility may seem like, oh, it's this big foreign thing. And it's like, well, no, it's just you want to make sure people with disabilities, very different uh, types of dif- disabilities can actually just use the web. And some people might go like, oh, well, how would they even use the web, right? And it's not as scary or difficult as people think, right? So it kind of depends on the disability, right? And so you kind of go, okay, well, what are the different ones? So you could have someone with low mobility, right? Then you also have people that might have shaky hands, cerebral palsy, things like that, where it's not uncommon, right? It's not that it doesn't exist or anything like that. No, there's a fair amount of people with these different kinds of disabilities. And you kind of go, well, how would they use the web? The assumption is everyone just uses a mouse. And I kind of go, well, that just forgot, you know, the entire history of computers because, you know, after punch cards, what was the only way you could interface with the computer? It was like called a keyboard. <laughs> and then, I was like, wait, what was it? Yeah, it's, it's called a keyboard. <laughs> um, and so many, many site developers and content creators and site owners and whatnot is like, everything's got to be hover and mouse. That's what everyone uses. And it's like, well, no, there's like majority of people that actually use many other input devices. Yeah. And so people with low mobility, there's different levels, right? Different scales on where they are in their journey of that. And so you've got people that might just use keyboards, just basic interfaces, right? And that's already built into browsers and functionality there. Then there's people that might use switches. So that would be kind of more lower mobility, where maybe only being able to move their hands so much. And that's pretty much kind of a device system that is just a single button, maybe sometimes two buttons. Mm. And it pretty much allows it to say like, go through items, everything on the screen over and row by row. Yeah. So not fast, but it kind of gets the job done. And then you say stop, and then it would actually select that item. So a little bit oversimplified, but that kind of concept. And then it could even get into there's mouthpieces and then you can even get into eye tracking. So there's just software that allows to do that. So technology has allowed a lot more options. And that's where, you know, people, you know, reference Stephen Hawking. and like, what did he first use as he was going through his degeneration? Right. And it's like by the end of it, it's like, OK, you had mouthpieces, you had eye trackers, you had these other tools. And part of that came with the technology that was available. So it's still easily available, sometimes a little bit more taxing, but it is available for people with different levels of motor skills. Right. Then you've got people with low vision. And that's that's also a huge range. Right. Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. A huge range. So, you know, even if you are considered legally blind for driver's license, those kinds of things. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't see zero. It's not zero or a hundred. There's a huge (laughs) range in between. And so uh, some people might just only need magnification, right? And so there's magnification tools. They're even just physical magnifiers, right? You know, magnifying glass, I mean, oversimplifying, but that kind of glass type structure. Really, they're still interacting with the website just the same way, but just with some level of magnification. But there's also people that maybe can't see at all or at that lower level that even with magnification is not really possible. And so there's uh, software also available. It's been around for quite some time, but it's matured, which is screen readers, right? 
And so screen readers, I always kind of explain it as a robot that just is able to kind of go through and parse through the content. The beauty about the web, I think, is that so much has been worked on for standards and just building things so that they're accessible. Because really, if you think about what is the most accessible thing to a degree, and that's digital text, right? A physical book, if I mean, as a technical person myself, I was like, I just want to hit control F. I'm like, I want to just find yeah. this text. But I was like, uh -huh. I'm just going to have to read through like a thousand <laughs> pages and hope I find that one page. Right? Yeah. So now there's ways of digital text. You're like, I can find almost anything there. And if you think about the web long time ago, it was mostly just a bunch of text. Mm -hmm. And so that was the ground layer. Uh, and so if you think of it as that way, there's, it's pretty accessible to a, a majority amount of people because that robot can read that text. Yeah. What robots can't do or, you know, different software can't do is parse images. Well, nowadays that's slowly changing and there's work on that, but it's still in its infancy. So there's still lots of media, a lot of these other things that also need that text-based alternative. And then you've got different kind of cognitive aspects. You've got reading disorders, things like that, where you could, okay, well, dyslexia, right? Well, they actually might also use a screen reader because they might actually like hearing the words rather than trying to read them themselves. Yeah. So that don't necessarily assume everyone with a screen reader is must have no vision or anything like that. So there's sighted people that use screen readers as well. I've actually used it myself to actually get past a, a banking site that didn't actually make a responsive version. So like their form submit button was off screen. Oh. And so I just used my device screen reader and I'm just like, boop, boop, boop. Oh, there's the submit it, yeah. button. There's the submit button. Okay. Okay, sweet. I can accomplish my task. I can yeah. continue on my day. But yeah, screen readers are even built into your mobile phones. Uh, and there's a lot of accessibility work from iOS, Android. There's also voice dictation, right? You know, Siri itself had basis in the accessibility space. It was for oh, people really? with wow. kind of disabilities. And it was mm -hmm. like, well, this is a good feature for everyone. Yeah. Remember that everyone, right? And that's turned into all these different assistants and everything like that, right? So focusing on accessibility sometimes can even create really positive yeah. outcomes for everyone as a whole, right? So yeah, there's many different ways people interact with the website, but the basic level, they're still accessing the same content, the same HTML structures, if you build it correctly. So that's where we get into the pain points, right? Yes, yeah. What many people with uh, disabilities run into, right? You're saying, okay, well, if it's not accessible, I, I can't even accomplish my tasks, right? Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I talked about that base, right? You're like, oh, it, more than 20 years ago. Uh, but, you know, some time ago, it was just HTML. It's just, or sorry, it was just, uh, well, yeah, it's true. Uh, but it was text, just text information and basic links and buttons. And in this day and age, what's kind of slightly gone off the deep end for the concept of, uh, or for the benefit of, of improved experiences in some ways is these complex uh, JavaScript frameworks and uh, all these build tools and all this functionality that developers somehow forgot in the past, like, again, you know, 20 plus years, what a button was yeah. and <laughs> what a link was. And, and it's funny because I feel like those are, you know, some of the most simple like aspects of developing and building a website. And it's like, you know, when things get so complicated, you forget the small, simple things. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, we we design more complex interfaces and we design these features that are all based around hover because we assume, again, everyone's using that one input device. So there's a lot of decisions all along that just kind of make these assumptions on what I would put, quote, like typical user, right? So those major quotes there. 
because again, uh, there's even temporary disabilities. There's all yeah. kinds of ranges, right? Mm -hmm. They just kind of forgot the basics to a degree. So the JavaScript allows you to be like, I just add a click to anything. I can just add that feature to anything. So that div, which is just a generic tag, it's like that div, you're clickable now. <laughs> and it's like, how does a keyboard user get to it? You're like, yeah. well, I guess I'll add, you know, this extra code. And it's like, well, understand the browser already built in like roles for screen readers. It's brought in keyboard support. It's brought in like all this functionality that everyone just thinks, ah, oh, that's super simple to do. And then they kind of forget that, no, there was actually a lot of work into that. Yeah, yeah. Seems like there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, we've moved into a more media space, right? We've been growing uh, different uh, experiences. So there's a lot more, right? TikTok and all these places. Yeah. It's very video-centric. Video and so that video aspect is, okay, well, how many people can enjoy video? All right. And again, you've got ranges of disabilities. Uh, and so, okay, well, how does a person with low vision access that video content, right? And so many places forget, oh, yeah, maybe I should add a transcript. Maybe I should actually have it in text format. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, well, if they're deaf, how do they access that? It's, well, many times people forget to just even put captions in mm -hmm. their videos. I think that's why even the social media platforms even kind of give you some options to put in captions. Yeah, I've you... noticed that um, I think within the last few years, honestly, is when I've started to see it more and more is that every video now, mostly, you know, um, of all the like, you know, sports posts and influencer posts, they do have captions, which I think is great. Yeah. And if you also read some of those, they're, they're very uh, off. They're very off. So <laughs> still some work to do. Still there. some work to do. And that's where it began because it's reliance on the automation aspect. Yeah. But it's, it's still a human aspect, right? Jargon phrases we say all the time that need some explanation. Forgetting the basics is kind of our part of it. More complex interfaces, newer media types. So there's a lot of things to improve uh, the web experience is kind of forgotten some of those things. And same thing where we want parallax and fanciness and everything's totally moving. And I kind of go back into design, right? And I go, well, what's the goal of the design? Is it to look really fancy or is it to actually accomplish a task? Yeah. And so I think that's why you saw in more recent years where there's a bit more minimalism coming into play is because people realized, oh, instead of making, you know, 11 pixel size font that's super tiny, but, you know, with animations and, and everything going on, people get distracted. Oh, uh, and absolutely, yeah. uh, also they kind of get lost and that applies to everyone. And so if you go back into, OK, what what's the end goal? Oh, I want them to be able to click this button to go to this page to find their information to then be able to purchase a product or get, download this aspect. Yeah. Uh, and so then they increased font sizes. They made things simpler. Uh, you don't want to oversimplify too much, right? And that's why we have then the build back up to this kind of hybrid approach. And so I think designers themselves kind of realized, oh, okay, well, I can actually make this so we can improve conversions, all those kinds of benefits to the company, but also it just makes an easier experience. So. Mm -hmm. It's getting back into that simplicity. So keeping that mindset of accessibility in mind can actually improve that. I don't know if everyone chose it because of accessibility, but it aligns many times. So I yeah. think a lot of designers kind of go, oh, accessibility, oh, it's going to like, I'm going to be so limited. And it's like, no, you you're can, really not. You, you're really not. And even, I, I mean, there are directors and whatnot of movies that say, well, actually, I like the limitations. 
because if I had infinite. Sometimes, yeah, when you have too much, when the world is your entire oyster, it's like, oh my gosh, there's like way too many directions that could take this. Yeah. You know, I think designers on our team talk about that all the time when they're not given, you know, any direction at all. They're like, I don't know which direction to go. Um, so even having just some some minimal guidelines and some structures to that will actually make it so that the designer's life is easier. Yeah. And also consistency. We as humans, we're used to habit. And so if you you go, you know what? Today, the site header is is in the footer and I'm flipping those, <laughs> right? And most users are going to be, I'm very confused on yeah. this setup, right? Uh -huh. And so having some of that structure, I know sometimes, oh, well, it's kind of limiting on what I can, I can do. But, like, but the end goal is to make people be able to feel comfortable with your website, be able to interact with your website, and just be able to easily navigate it. So having those constraints isn't necessarily a problem, right? Mm -hmm. It actually helps guide them and makes their life a little bit easier. Yeah, that's great. And you honestly brought this right into the next question that I had for you. And that is, so how does focusing on accessibility in your design process benefit end users? Yeah, I, like I said, the, sometimes creating and focusing on accessibility can really improve the experience for everyone. So I think of it this way. So, you know, we're talking about media, right? And we're yeah. talking about transcripts and we're talking about those experiences. And so we're going to get into all a couple of different wins, right? Uh, so I mean, it's a little bit older data, but, you know, This American Life, which is a podcast. Uh, hey, podcasts. All right, sweet. Uh, <laughs> podcast inception. Uh, and a few years back, they actually set it up so that they actually had transcripts within the page itself. So it's actually on the same page. Well, it's maybe you have to press a button to actually display it and technicalities, but it's literally got a dedicated page and it's tied in with listening in. And then it even has follow along information. So you actually have wow. live, well, you know what I mean? It's pre-recorded, but, yeah, yeah. you know, alongside following you along through the text. And that's actually quite an enjoyable experience mm -hmm. uh, because you could be listening in, but you could also be watching You're like, oh, yeah, no, I maybe misheard that. Right. Yeah. We've. As humans, we've never misheard any information ever. <laughs> Absolutely uh, never. <laughs> those songs, I know those lyrics perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, having that following along, that's that's benefiting a lot of people. And then it also gets this extra benefit of the search engines, right? So we talk about screen readers being able to go through everything. Well, that's kind of the same thing that Google being all these places are doing as well with their crawlers. They're yeah. literally just going for that text. They're not going to listen through an hour long audio and go, I hope they have this information. What what am I listening to, right? Yeah. No, it's going to be like, okay, give me text. Yeah. I can digest that. And it's all here. Yeah. And it's all here. And so they actually even saw organic increases on users that went specifically to the transcripts and saw organic growth in their actual web traffic. Wow, interesting. Okay. So again, wins. Yeah. Uh, so focusing on that accessibility, it's not necessarily, oh, I have to just think about just what I can do for compliance. It's like, no, how can I come up with interfaces that are counting with different user types? And so, yeah, having that mindset can actually create some more ingenious or more interesting concepts. So, yeah, uh, focusing on accessibility, you can do it in many different ways. But in the design phase, it's more earlier on, right? And so there's probably less about, am I setting up my buttons correctly? Am I setting these things up? It's a lot of it is around contrast, of course. That's something that designers uh, would be in control of. Mm -hmm. uh, the color uh, spectrums, uh, things like that. I think most people just think of just text, though, and they go, okay, is my text enough? You know, And that's journeys of different designers, right? Go, okay, well, I know that I need to have color contrasted text. Check. All right. Did you account for your graphs, right? 
And we see it all the time where you've got three different aspects that you want to show in a pie chart or in a line chart or these different things. So many times I just see, okay, blue, lighter blue, darker blue. Yeah. <laughs> and all of them pretty much are actually even our colors. So it's, it's fun. Uh, so they'll do like red and blue. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty much the exact same contrast. So if you actually view that in grayscale, it would just be like black and black. Yeah. Okay, which line is which? Uh-huh. Right? Which part of this pie chart are you talking about? And then the legend uses those same colors, and it would be like, see, it's obviously this black. And it's uh, this color is obviously this black. So you must know which one this graph is talking about, right? You're like, no. Um, and a lot of times we think about just color alone in our designs for bringing people to your call to actions, right? CTAs, right? Okay, well, I'm just going to make this giant bright blue. But if you actually view it in grayscale, is it actually bringing someone closer? So you actually can actually take your concept a little bit further by viewing your work inside of grayscale. So you can still have the color, you can still have these concepts, but viewing it in grayscale kind of give you a sense of, all right, if someone couldn't see color at all, could they easily find the interactions that I wanted? Are they getting the concepts I wanted to create? Um, and so I think just even having that in your pipeline is like, okay, great. All right. I, I now have a better sense of what some users might be interacting with, right? Yeah. Color blindness is usually usually like a single color, but there can be full uh, color blindness as well. And then that contrast, right? We always assume everyone has got amazing devices with perfect, uh, no glare in a perfect room in a void of just nothing else inter- <laughs> interacting with your experience. Yeah. And it's like, but there's also reality. And so, you know, you've got glare, you've got uh, sometimes crappy monitors, you've, you've, you've got these different experiences. And so focusing on color contrast as well, is it enough to stand out? Is it enough for people to even recognize? Uh, I think common people forget is, is, you know, like the inputs, right? And they'll go, I made these really thin gray lines, so it just looks sleek. And you're like, so no one can see them. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that people wanted to interact with. I made a tiny little line at the bottom so people will understand. And you go, it's a line. Yeah, not working. Not, not enough, <laughs> right? Um, and so getting back into those accessibility routes, it can help you focus on that conversion aspect. Can people actually accomplish the task? Um, same thing where it's like, well, then I injected labels, my, my text inside that input for a 50 input form. And every time you type into any of them, all that text disappears. So you've got 50 inputs that you have to remember what all of them were. And my memory is not that good. So, no, neither is uh, <laughs> So where labels above, right? Focusing on that accessibility oh, side yeah. also makes it so you come up with decisions that all users can, okay, oh, that was not my first name. That was my friend's first name and so on and so forth. That's not my shipping address, that's my billing address because that mistake could be actually major, right? Yeah. So focusing on accessibility can actually come up with just better solutions. And then, yes, I'll just say it right now and I'll just look at the camera that if anyone's actually watching, <laughs> please stop with hover. Just please stop. Just, just you hear stop. that? <laughs> just stop. Um, again, we get back into those input devices and, and everyone goes like, mouse. And you go, well, that's one user type. And... Literally every user type has a way to click something. Yeah. Every user has a way to press something. It doesn't matter the input, using your voice, any of those things. There's a way to literally say, like, press this. Switch that can press this. Keyboard that can hit enter. Touch users. And I still see so many designs where it's like, everything hover, navigation hover, flip cards hover, tool tips hover. And I go, what? But 
that's like one user type. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people are still, you know, just reverting back to the hover? I, it's it's tradition. I don't know. It's uh, people for so long were going, ah, yeah, that's the way it is. And that's what I was saying. It's like it feels, you know, WCAG's, uh, the WCAG, right? The Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. They've been around for since 1999, right? Oh, wow. Okay. It's been, it's, it's not new. No. Uh, no. They've been making changes and, and adding new aspects, et cetera, but it's not new. Um, but it kind of felt like in the initial phase, everyone's like, yeah, and then forgot it for the next, you know, 24 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, again, mouse usage became more popular. Keyboards became less aware for different end users. And so it became this, oh, wow, that's really cool. And especially in, in Web 2.0 or earlier, where it's like, oh, you can hover over things and it does something that feels new and interesting and cool. And, cool. Yeah. and so then that just kind of stayed. I also think there's maybe a little bit of a design concept of, you know, trying to limit the number of clicks, right? So there's oh, yeah. the, mm -hmm. oh, you want to reduce the amount of clicks because that can impact uh, conversions, yeah. right? But I always kind of go, I feel that data is more pointed to the time where each page, each click would mean a whole new page, right? I'd, I'd have to click in, and to find something. That's such a journey, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you'd have to go through, you know, I click on, I think it's my bank, you know, I okay, I think I want a credit card. I think it's the, or general loans. You're like, okay, I think it's under loans and I think it's under personal loans and then i think it's under this right and if you have to go through four pages to eventually find what you're looking for and go whoops i'm wrong yeah now i gotta go back yeah right but navigation if you wanted to find out more about maybe it's under loans and you clicked on it and you go okay well here's my loan options nope that's not what i'm looking for i'll just go click on another menu that's literally how you use most software today is it under file no is it under menu or it's under you know edit no is it under view ah it is under view mm -hmm. great hover isn't really necessary for that and almost all the software everyone uses except for the web is click based ask yourselves what software am i using that actually uses hover only for a functionality and you'll probably go like nothing <laughs> everything has to be clicked because that's a form of intent because that's yeah. the thing to think about from end users as well hover doesn't necessarily mean they wanted you to open that focus doesn't necessarily mean they wanted a dialogue to appear in their face yeah scrolling doesn't necessarily mean they want to read another pop-up um all these things aren't really a form of intent but if i'm going to click on something i probably want to interact with that yeah and yeah. so those kinds of things where it's an accessibility thing but actually you're, you're going to come up with a ubiquitous solution because you don't even have to worry. And again, your impact as a designer impacts everyone down the road. If you say this is going to be hover-based, and then the developers now have to come up with two different solutions, because now how do I get this to work with keyboards? How do I and touch? How do I account for touch? And they're going to be all fighting each other. You just added a huge amount of effort to the developers to come up with a solution for one decision. Yeah, yeah. But it's often coming even further back, right? It's even into like business decisions and like, but I don't want to, I want people to easily find it. And I always kind of, and I've been in multiple meetings and, and with big boards and things like that. And I go, all right. Like I said, you want to find out more about loans. You hover over loans. Nothing happens. What will you do? That's a bit rhetorical. And they kind of like, mm, mm. And it's like, maybe one person would be like, I'd click on it. And it's like, boom, you just learned how to use a click interface yeah. with <laughs> no training, with no training whatsoever. But now if you do it hover-based, Okay, how does a keyboard user access it? Okay, well, maybe they have to tab and then on focus. 
well, then how's the screen reader user? Because they don't actually always navigate by tab because that's only by interactive elements. Yeah. But they want to read all text. So they mm -hmm. might use like down arrow keys. So they reach it with down, which is not actually triggering the opening. So they'll probably hit press enter. Guess what? That's just going to take them to a page that didn't actually open the menu. Yeah. How do they use it? How does a touch user use it? Right? It's just that those decisions kind of forget. There's just all different ways that people interact. I think it's a lot easier conversation now because it's with mobile, right? And I put mobile in quotes uh, because mobile is a state. And I kind of go, uh, most people are not on their phone on the go so much as just Sitting doom scrolling, doom scrolling couch. for like four <laughs> hours on their couch. Is that someone on the go? Is that someone mobile? No, that's just literally just someone trying to access the same level of content. Yeah. Uh, and then iPads are literally the same size as desktops. Mm -hmm. Like the Pro is literally the same size as a laptop. Yeah. And so I go... It, you kind of go like, well, just desktop users get hover. And I go like, well, that's literally touch users as well. Yeah. So I think it gives it an easier conversation, but I still see it in the wild of that kind of hover-based approach. And I just kind of say, as designers, the ubiquitous, easy to understand the UX of it is, is the approach to go. I think you've mentioned, you know, a ton of gaps right now as it pertains to accessible UI. We talked about a lot of like color contrast, the hover. Is there any other, you know, gaps as it pertains to accessible UI design? that you see kind of like on a frequent basis. Yeah, I mean, and and this one again, stepping out of your own shoes. I was talking about those magnification users, right? Uh, so uh, the WCAG, right? So WCAG, they even have criteria to try and account for those users. And so one of them is about magnification. And so users should be able to magnify up to 400%. And you go, well, that's really huge. And you go, well, yeah, because eyesight doesn't last forever. And so you need to be able to enlarge your font. Yeah. And so if you think about, you know, screen size is like a 1280 by 1024 for like a, a monitor. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a little bit older, right? 1920s are a little bit more popular now, but it's not that there's zero people using a 1280 monitor. If they magnify to 400%, that's only 320 pixels of space. You're literally getting, I put again quotes, mobile or small screen sight. And then 1024. So you shrink that down and then you've got 256 in your height. Have you ever been on a website that likes to have at least two, three pop-ups, a sticky site header, a sticky site footer, and a jump to navigation? Yes. Probably will not fit in any usable way in a 320 by 256 Probably space. not. <laughs> it's not even available, like even on, on mobile devices that are bigger, right? And the big, uh, you know, phablets and all these things, right? Um, even that's still blocking and sometimes cut off and still not easy to use. So I think a lot of designers still kind of think, okay, I just only need to account for the smallest device that's popular right now, which might be like 370 pixels or 375, uh, you know, maybe a little bit wider. And you probably see designers going wider and wider and wider because yeah. our phones are continuing to get bigger. But we, we can't forget that that's just one user type. Uh, there's people that are on desktops that might dock their screens. There's people with magnification that want to be able to access the same level of content. Um, and so from that, it's really important to think about what that would look like and how that would function zoomed in. And if you come up with good solutions, then developers are coming up with good solutions, right? So as designers, your decisions can impact down the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I always think about, you know, seeing mock-up designs for things that we're doing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't... I give all the praise to developers and how they actually know how to do that <laughs> and turn these designs into actual usable products. It's yeah. crazy. So we talked about, you know, some gaps as it pertains to accessible UI design. What are some solutions you kind of 
mentioned a few in your previous answer, but what are some solutions to fill in those gaps? Like, what are you suggesting? Yeah. So solutions, right? So yeah, uh, it's just thinking outside of, I mean, that's the simplest, right? If, if you just start to think, what are the types of users, right? Start coming up with those user stories in your head, right? So someone with low vision, what are they going to use? Okay. Well, like we talked about screen readers. Okay. Well then I want to make sure I have text alternatives probably for complex graphs. Probably want to have it in some data format that's easy to digest for people that's not so based in visual setups. So maybe it's a table right underneath that explains the same data. So like iOS, for example, for I think for their stock market app, um, they actually have an option that it will actually do sound for the graph shape. Oh wow! So it'll actually like go up and down, yeah. so they can kind of get a sense. So. It's again, thinking outside the box of how could I make this? I could still do the graphical view, but how could I make this so more people could access it, right? But text is still king. And you could also just say, all right, maybe not perfect, but I've got this alternative that is going to actually display the same data. Um, so thinking about, okay, how those people uh, might have ways of getting that information, right? And thinking about, okay, how would someone with low mobility access this? And again, Maybe I shouldn't do hover. Maybe I should think about how there's different input devices. Often, you know, we do, okay, maybe you want that close button on that dialogue. Don't just assume people can hit escape or just click outside of the viewing area, right? And so really, if you kind of hear all these ideas, right, maybe you haven't thought about them or anything like that. And we just talked about magnification. Haven't mm. thought about it, right? Yeah. But it, that's really what fixes it is if you just think about it, right? Think yeah. about these users. Know those types of users. So... Um, and the nice part about all this social media and all this information is there's actually people with uh, disabilities that are literally like vloggers themselves and yeah, trying to go yeah. over their struggles and how they interact with things. And so that might also broaden people's minds on how can I change the way I design something. So, yeah, I think that's the core aspect everyone can kind of do. And that would make major improvements because there's a lot to this. But at the same time, every little bit counts. Yeah. And so just even getting into those basics will help you out. You even just answered my next question too, which was, you know, are, what are things that designers should be looking out for during their process? And I feel like we've kind of mentioned a ton of that yeah. this entire episode. And I think what you just mentioned is that, you know, just putting yourself in the user's shoes. And I think that's why everyone feels really scared. They're like, oh, there's just so much. And yeah, WCAG and these guidelines have very specific things. So you can still mess it up and you can still, and, and there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot to it. But at the core, it's just saying, how can I make sure I don't create a bias against people with disabilities? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing what are the different types of disabilities will actually probably benefit you a lot because you're just going to end up coming with better solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So what are a few next steps people who are listening can take in terms of, you know, making their website more accessible? And obviously, you know, you just said that. And I think most people know in terms of accessibility, you're never really going to be 100% there. I think, you know, like you said, there's a ton of nuances. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of considerations. So what kind of can people do? Yeah. Um, uh, in the design space, right, uh, we should also talk about maybe a couple different aspects about the designs uh, and the ways to approach designs. So there's, you know, the universal design approach, which is really getting into trying to make a solution. Uh, there's like seven principles, and I'm not going to get into all yeah, the details yeah, yeah. about that. But it's, um, it's about coming up with a way that accounts for as many people as possible in one solution. And sometimes that works. And sometimes that's not the perfect solution because people need different things, right? So if you think about from a video, right? 
you can say, well, I'm going to make a, a video that vibrates and does all these other things all at once to just try and account for all users. And it's like, there's too much to cram into one space. Yeah. So then you go, okay, well then how can they access the sound, right? Okay, well then captions, right? So the video itself, just the moving pictures and the audio can be kind of separate. That's not the universal solution. And so then an accessibility focused design, right? So accessible design is then thinking about how can I create these alternatives at times? Sometimes I can do it in a universal way. Maybe I can come, you know, a button is a button. And so if I design it to be a button and it's developed like a button, everyone can use it, yeah. right? So there are times where universal can be done. And then there are times where it's like, all right, well, I need these alternatives because I need the transcripts. I need the closed captioning. I need audio descriptions. I need these other options to account for as many people as possible. And then kind of segueing to this one, which is the inclusive design. And so inclusive design isn't saying that it's somehow better or anything like that. It's more just the method that you do it. And that is to include more people in the process. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of go, oh, well, if you're having a hard time thinking about every user, maybe incorporate the users, right? Um, get them involved in the process. And if you get them involved in the design process, get them to give feedback early on rather than I'm stuck at the door. Right. And so this is a concept of shifting left. So that's oh, another yeah. you know, principle that you want to kind of do, which is if you get the feedback early rather than, all right, now I can't use this at all, but we've already spent, you know, thousands of dollars to get to this point. That's going to be a lot harder to change versus, yeah. hey, by the way, like I would just like this information in this way and that would be really helpful. Oh, OK. Yeah, let's design it that way. And that accounts for as many people as possible. And great. You don't have that barrier at the door. So is that what shifting left means is, you know, taking things into consideration a lot earlier mm -hmm. in the process and yeah. later? Yeah. So accessibility, a lot of people just think it's in the testing phase, right? It's in the development testing phase. But as I kind of mentioned, all of these decisions actually happened before that time. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so the business analyst and, and people figuring out what is going to be in your product or in your design I actually can go even further. So as designers, that's another thing you can do is go bother the person before you, <laughs> right? So sometimes in accessibility, it, it, it does feel like, oh, how do I get change? Um, and really internally uh, is really the best way to go. But that means voices. And so just simply, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to simply ask, hey, what were the user stories? Who are we accounting for? Because like you said, designers are like, if I get no information, how am I supposed to design this thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So even simply doing that question of, so how are we accounting for accessibility in our you know, business decisions? And if you get ums and ahs, gives you your answer right there. You're like, we probably need to think about this, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then it gets them to think about how that can be incorporated into their structure. And so you start to spread it by just simply asking questions. Don't feel like it's all on your shoulders, right? It's it's on many shoulders. Yeah. I pretty much yeah. say, you know, even internally, I'm like, it's on everyone's shoulders, except for maybe the server department. But even then, you could also talk about the physical space of the server racks and everything along yeah. those lines. Mm -hmm. um, so really, it's on everyone's shoulders. So yeah, shifting left will be beneficial. Getting it into your mentality and the design, getting it into people before you uh, will help with the design. Um, and then, of course, uh, just incorporating maybe more end users or people with different backgrounds, that's the inclusivity, mm -hmm. uh, into the process will probably end up coming up with a better solution in the long run. Um, and usually actually saves you money and time because you don't have to go back and do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure I always do. Every time you're on the show, I learn a ton and I always have, I feel like my wheels are always spinning of like, oh my gosh, I did not really think about any of this stuff in kind of my day to day. But for our listeners, what is the main takeaway that you want them to learn from today's episode? Yeah. And, and like I said um, earlier, where information is a lot more readily available out there. So don't feel like you just kind of have to figure it out all on your own. I would say just even simply just being aware, right? And just even you can just Google it or Bing it or whatever you end up using for it uh, to search. And you just literally type in the words and you go, okay, design accessibility. And you'll probably get 40 links of checklists and ideas. And, and if you just start with that, okay. I need to think about these other users. Think about it in those user stories. Don't just go, okay, you know, even if thinking the BA side, don't just go, okay, as an end user, I want to be able to go to a page, right? Now that's really oversimplified. It's probably not that helpful. But, you know, like I want to be able to um, buy my groceries online. And it'd be like, you started with the mobile space. You said, as a person on the go, I wanted to be able to purchase things online. And it was like, well, now just add, a person on the go with a screen reader on their phone wants to buy something online. And so adding those just key phrases starts getting you to think about it. Just doing a little bit of research online. I'm not expecting everyone to be experts out there, but it's not that scary. And like you kind of even said, it's you kind of as soon as you start hearing it, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's just needing to open yourself out beyond your own person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nick. That was all of the time we had for today. I learned a lot and I'm really excited for everyone to listen to this episode and also learn a lot from you. So thank you. No, thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to Modern Marketing Messages. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you liked the episode, follow the podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this podcast with others. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Modern Marketing Messages. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Taylor Karg, and I'll be back with another Modern Marketing Message.